I, I want to, and I've been, I was grappling a little bit with what to share um, because I want to be helpful and I want to, you know, I want to equip, you know, I really want to deposit something that it'll be left so when we're gone that now you've got handles where you can actually build the kingdom of God. And, and like, you know, you can preach a message on, let's say, evangelism or how to bring the harvest in and um, we'll get inspired for a few days. And after a few days or a few weeks, the, the motivation's gone. But we don't really know what to do, if that makes sense. I'm a strong believer, and I know you are too, with the Word of God. So strong. And, and, and the blueprint that's in the Bible. And the pattern that's in the Bible. To see the harvest come in. And to see the kingdom of God increase in the earth. So that's what we're doing. Our message is the message of the kingdom of God, right? And so, and I'm the first, I'm the first one to admit, too, that um, I started at the age of 22, remember, and I got saved at 19. So I was totally, I'm a, I'm a blank canvas. I'm naive. I love Jesus. I'm going out the streets, preaching Jesus, leading people to Jesus. But I don't have a clue what I'm doing. I'm, I'm starting the church in my mum's lounge room. When it comes to pattern, blueprint, what do you do? I had no, no formal training, no Bible college, just love for Jesus. So I'm the first to admit that if I didn't connect with um, Dudley when he came to Australia, like I, I thank God that he heard the call of God in 1989, left South Africa, Bryanston, a thriving church, you know, and so on, and many churches that he was already in partnership with and overseeing and, and connecting and building relationships and partnership. And he came to Adelaide. And from that, long story short... I would have burnt out. That's my testimony. I would have been a statistic, for sure, if I didn't come into partnership with the NCMI team that showed us the blueprint, showed us how to build, showed us how to, how, how do, we, how do we do this church thing? How do we do the kingdom thing? And so because like, of the partnering, we've been partnering for about 28 years. So that, I'm now going to try to share a little bit, summarize it in about 28 minutes, 27, whatever we've got left. Uh, summarize, if I best I can, what we've learnt, not just me, but what we've learnt that I believe we get from the Word on how to build, build the kingdom and a blueprint. We're talking about blueprint, pattern. I remember Douglas saying once that if God would give the, the um, clear, defined definitions to the measurements of the Old Testament tabernacle, and God told Moses, make sure you do it exactly as I tell you. Like in Hebrews 8, chapter 5, 8, verse 5. Hebrews 8, verse 5. Who serve, talking about, who serve the example and the shadow of the heavenly things. And I'm talking about the, the things of this work, the, the tabernacle of this earth serves the example and the shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was admonished or instructed of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. God said to him, for see, says he, that you make all things according to the pattern showed to you in the mountain. So God showed, you know, Moses face to face, showed him everything about the tabernacle, the shoebread, you know, the, the altar, the mercy seat, the, the cherubim, do everything exactly to the T and make this out of gold, make this out of silver, do this. And why? Because it was a, 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 a replica of the real one in heaven. And God wanted, he was showing us things. There's a shadow of the things to come. If God would do that to Moses, why can't he show us a New Testament pattern? Why can't he make it very, very clear? And you know the whole story of the Ark of the Covenant. You know, this is some of the things we learned in the early days. The Ark of the Covenant, 
Ark of the Covenant when they um, carried it. Well, they didn't carry it. They're supposed to carry it on the, on the priest's shoulders. But they thought, let's just use a new cart. Because it's practical. It works. It moves the Ark from here to there. Um, but it wasn't the prescribed way. And as it stumbled, Uriah touched it, he dies. Judgment hits him. It wasn't the prescribed way. David was upset for a long time. Probably really shocked because one of his friends died and he doesn't understand. He finally found out. He found out that the reason why that happened, Moses, yes, the reason why that happened is because we did not move it the prescribed way. We moved the presence of God our own way. We just thought, we know what's best. We'll do it. It means you don't trust God's way. God says when you move the ark, you only move it on the priesthood of believers on the shoulders of the priest. Government of the priest. That's the presence of God is carried by the priests. And yet we, in the New Testament, we try to do it our way. So one quick example of doing it our way is when, when, when it's built on one person. When one guy's got the anointing, the man of power, woman of power. He's, the, he's, he's it. And we all go to him and he prays for us. And then we just think he's the anointed one and, and he's the priest. He's the, he's the one that's going to, he's called to do everything. And we don't realize we're the priests. All of us are priests. Just a, it's a simple one. But we've seen that time and time again when the pressure of that one man or one woman, you know, because it's built wrong, eventually if they fall in any way, shape or form, people are, sh- are scattered. The sh- you know, even Jesus says, strike the shepherd and the sheep shall scatter. When you put your faith in a personality, put your faith in that person's gifting, and if that person falls off and now you're shaken with your faith in Christ, that means you had your faith more on the man than on Jesus as a foundation. And it's already unbiblical, isn't it? We don't have our faith in Christ as our foundation. They're just little things. But I'm going to show us from Ephesians chapter 4. So if you've got your Bibles, just quickly, Ephesians 4. We're going to have to sort of move quick. But... Paul the Apostle was a master builder. He was a genius. He really was. We underestimate, I think, what's, what was on his life when he was here on the earth. And, but he, obviously God allowed him to write 14 of the letters of the New Testament. And um, Ephesians 4, it tells us really quickly, I mean, I don't know where to start, stop, because it's so, it's so good. The whole thing's amazing. But, we, you know, it says, therefore, walk worthy of the calling. Walk worthy of the high calling you've been called to. When you and I get a revelation that we've been called this high calling, this invitation into the very presence of God. I mean, you can't get a higher calling to that. The high calling that we're made in God's image and we're now united with Christ and Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. That means we're seated with him. That's a high calling. When you get a revelation of that, then you'll work, walk worthy of that calling. And then, and then it talks about, see the Bible, you know, Paul doesn't just say, um, you know, then it says, with all humility, gentleness, verse 2, um, with patience, showing tolerance for one another. Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body. There is one Lord. You know, there is one Spirit, just as you were called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in, and in you. He's like, trying to say, look, there's only one. When you came into this when you came into Christ, you came into the spiritual, you came, you came connected to the spiritual body of Christ globally. God looks down from heaven, he only sees one church. We might have created our you know, so-called divisions and schisms and denominations and groups, and we, and we only fellowship with that group. That hinders Christ's church. We've got to mature up into the unity of the faith. 
What, what makes us united? Because of, we're united to the unity of the faith. And we'll talk about that because we read that like the unity, you know, that, you know that scripture, apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, teacher, is to equip the saints, the work of the ministry, for the, until we all come to the unity of the faith. We read it like until we all come to the unity of methodology. We've been divided just on methodology. We've been divided just on expression of worship. Just the way we worship, we've been divided with that. Crazy, immature, but we've allowed ourselves, oh, yeah, but I don't like it that way. We've been divided on manifestations. We've been divided on, on culture. I go to India, it's a completely different culture. And I'm not talking about kingdom culture. I'm talking about it's a different culture. So they do church differently. They express it differently. You go to another country, different. So we've been divided on those, those cultures. We've been divided on um, even, even um, theology. Theology doesn't matter, like, when's Jesus going to come back? I mean, come on, we just went through COVID. People got divided on to, wear the vac- to have, the vac- have the vaccine or not have the vaccine, uh, to wear a mask or not to wear a mask. And, and these are the sort of things that you're not supposed to get divided on. Give people the freedom to make their own decisions, but that doesn't divide us in any way. Actually, it, what unites us is Christ. They're just simple things, but that in itself hinders the church and our maturity. But anyway, just... The reason why I'm saying that is because Paul's saying that for a reason, and he actually opens up one Lord, one God, one faith. He goes, now, and he goes, but when, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of the gift of Christ's gift. To each one of us was given. In other words, one Lord, one God, but to each one, we're all different. We express that gift, we express him differently. And that's why he starts to say that Jesus, and he says, we won't go into the how he ascended and descended and all that. But that just to me tells me that he's got all authority under heaven and earth. Therefore, he can give gifts to men. Nothing can stop him from doing that. He's the highest of all authority. No, no powers of darkness could stop Jesus from giving himself to men as a gift. So he breaks himself up and gives apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers. Remember, they're supposed to unite us, not divide us. But they have, we've competed with each other rather than completed each other. Apostles are completely different to prophets. Prophets are completely different to pastors, aren't they? Pastors are completely different to evangelists. They're different creatures. If you only relate to an evangelist, then you'll get the lost in, lost in, lost in, lost in. You'll get heaps of lost people in, but they won't be matured. They won't have shepherds to care for them. Or if you just relate to a shepherd and don't have evangelists, then you'll never reach the lost. You just, but the evangelist is frustrated with the shepherd. Come on, man. We, you know, we shepherd and care and love one another. They should go out there and win the lost. And then they're upset with the shepherd. The shepherd says to the evangelist, why are you just going out to get more people and we can't even take care of the ones we've got? They're, they're different creatures. But they should be working together, not getting upset with each other. I've been to India and certain villages, especially in the villages. Cities are different. But in the villages, they, they, the, the, the churches that they're planting all over the place, and some of them are planting amazing, like so many of them, there might be house churches and small as house churches, but I've been there and the, and, the, and the people remain children in the Lord because their only exposure is to this shepherd. No matter if you're, what I'm trying to say, if, you're, if you sit under the, the greatest shepherd on the planet, the greatest pastor on the planet, if you sit under his ministry and only him, no matter how anointed he is, no matter, no matter how close he is to the Lord, no matter how amazing he teaches, you, won't, you will not grow up into maturity. You just won't because it's God's pattern. Because you and I need all five of these gifts. So if I sit under the greatest teacher, you might love Derek Prince. 
You, you know, some a great teacher that is in heaven now, but you just only sit under his ministry. You won't grow up into Christ. You thought, no, surely one person can get all of it. No, he doesn't. All five is needed. So we as shepherds and elders, we need to think this way. We need to think, we need to be strategic and praying. What does our congregation need? What does our church need? Who, who haven't we have come in? Like talking about gifts, not friends, not just oh, I love his personality. I, love his, I even love his preaching. You get the one guy that preaches that you love, but you still need all other four. You've got to, you've got to think, who do we need to mature up? This is so important because I think sometimes we know things, but if you don't do it, it doesn't help you. Does that make sense? I, I, I know I'm anointed, but unless I pray for the sick, the sick don't get healed. What Caleb preached last night about sowing, we can know all that. Unless you sow, you don't get the results. You'll never reap a harvest. Sometimes I ask myself, how much of our people are sowing the gospel with their lips? Not just here on Sunday. How much are they speaking the gospel out there in everyday life? Because that determines the harvest. But if we don't do it, we don't get the results of that, even though I know it. So same with this. Some of us in our NCMI circles, we partner with the team. But we actually do we actually pray and think, how do we get the five-fold ministry to mature the saints strategically? That's just that's one thing. But can you see how in the past, um, up, even up until the 70s, 80s, 90s, apostles were not. You know, the Bible actually says, I, I'm going to say scripture quick. We haven't got time to go through it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, it says that, uh, that God builds the church upon the foundations of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, right? So God uses the apostolic. There's more said about the apostle in, in the New Testament than a pastor. We've accepted pastors and we've accepted teachers from the 70s, 80s, and you know, in the 40s and 50s, a great healing, you know, um, outpouring healing evangelists happening. And so, you know, evangelists we understood and accepted. Pastors, they, they got really restored and come to the forefront in Revelation in the 70s and 80s. And some large churches merged all over the world. And, and the teacher, we can understand, but most of it, no, the apostles are gone. No real apostles today. Most church people think that. Globally, I'm saying. Yes, it's, it's, it's you know, rising up now, but let's go back a few decades. The people didn't accept apostles. Apostles today, no, they're dead. They're all gone. And same with the prophet was slowly getting emerged. We're slowly rising back into the church and true, we're talking about true authentic apostles, true authentic prophets that are gifted by Jesus to the church, not someone calling themselves an apostle or a prophet. We're talking about anointed, authentic, gifted by Jesus to the church. And what has happened in the past too I think I'm just, you know, I, I'm a thinker. And I, I, I like to understand things. And, and what has happened in the past is a great move of God happens like Charles Finney. Bring, he's an evangelist, a teacher, and a great move of God happens with Charles Finney, revival over America, and that eventually becomes everyone relates to Charles Finney. Then J John Wesley came and bring, brought some great revelation into the body of Christ and you know, Martin Luther King and all those things. But they ended up becoming denominations and camped around that one movement or that one revelation. Remember, gift was supposed to be for the whole global church. So now the church, because we're divided, don't get blessed by that gift. But we end, up, we end up camping around a particular person or particular person's ministry or their gifting, and that's who I belong to. Even Paul corrected that. Who's of Apollos? Who's of Paul? You know, we're from Christ, and it all is yours. Anyways, just trying to help us think, that we're only getting, we're still growing as a global church, 
Jesus' church, Jesus' body is growing into this revelation. And I believe this is going to mature us. This is truly going to mature us into becoming saints. We, let's have a read quickly that Jesus gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, some to be teachers for the equipping of the saints. So, so what are they supposed to do? In the past, we thought the evangelist came in and he does all the evangelizing. Let's, let's put on a, a great meeting with the evangelist. So he flows in the power of God. He flows in the gifts. We bring him in. He evangelizes everyone. But when he's gone, we, we've got souls saved. That's great. But now we don't know how to, we don't know how to evangelize. The true authentic gift on evangelists to equip the saints to do the evangelizing. True? It's to equip the whole body, because that's what it says here. It's to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So who does the evangelizing? The saints. So the gift of an evangelist imparts this gift, trains them on how to win the lost. So imagine when everyone can win the lost. So you need to get an evangelist until it just massages into the people where they know how to win the lost. A pastor's true gift is to, ship, to teach others and impart the gifts so others can shepherd each other. But if we think, now the pastor, he's supposed to shepherd everybody. So when someone's sick, he visits. When someone is in hospital, they go visit. Someone's in prison, they visit because he's the anointed person. We've employed you, which is ridiculous. But you know, we, we tithe, we pay our tithes. You do all that ministry. We've done that for many decades. And we've hit a ceiling because we didn't let the Bible be the blueprint. The pastor is to shepherd the, past, uh, the, the people so they can shepherd each other. The prophet doesn't come in and prophesy and do all the prophesying and wow us with his gift and unconsciously point everyone to him. No, the prophet is to impart the gift so that the people can prophesy. We can all prophesy one by one. So he teaches others to prophesy. And all these gifts are to point every one of us to Jesus. They're Christ-exalted gifts. When you read it in its context, it's to bring us to Christ. Until we all come in the unity of the faith. Let's read it. Until we all attain. It says building up. So let's read that first. Verse 12. For the equipping of the saints, that's you, for the work of, the, of service. I mean, you do the work of service and I do the work of service. To the building up of the body of Christ. So this actually builds the body of Christ up. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. That's powerful because this is where we start to glean off each other and learn from each other because we we're not divided. The unity of the faith. You know, I can say a lot about this. When I first got saved, I got taught the wrong doctrine. I thought I was saved properly and everyone else isn't. We, someone else, this church taught us that unless you speak in tongues, you're not saved properly. And other things along those lines. So we came out of that. We got, we got redeemed twice. I got saved once and I got saved again from religion. But anyway, I left there and started the church. But... Um, that divided us. We thought you were better than you. You've got the wrong doctrine. That's how that divides. This is the unity of the faith. Unity of the faith is only one way to heaven. We're all, we're all lost. We're all going to go to hell without Christ. Christ is the only one redeemer. He came from heaven, died on the cross for our sins. And you put your faith in him, repent of your sins, put your faith in him. It's the only way you're going to make it into heaven. That's the unity of the faith. And a, and, and, and a, re, and, and a response from faith. There's an obedience that comes with that. Because if someone says, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I can live my life any way, any way I want to, then I don't think they've accepted this gospel correctly. So that's the unity of the faith, okay? So it says, until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. I've looked that up in the Greek, and I used to always read that as, and the knowledge of the Son of God. Yeah, we come into the knowledge of the Son of God, Jesus the Son of God. But it talks about coming in discernment. We come into a discernment of being sons of God. 
That's talking about us being sons of God. You read it. It doesn't. It can't, can't make it say something it's not saying. It actually, to me, it's how I see it. I read it as until we all come into the full discernment of being sons and daughters of God. That's the whole purpose of the revelation. We're becoming like Jesus, and it says to a mature man. This is how a true maturity happens because we need all fivefold ministry to bring maturity. So you're not going to get it. We can't bring the harvest in if we're not mature. This is connected to a lot of things. It's connected to the wine skin and the wine. The way you get the harvest in is that the wine skin can handle the new wine and you get the new wine out to the people that are thirsty. And so when the people come in, you've got a wine skin that can handle the growth and the harvest. And same with the river and the, the banks. You know the Ezekiel 47 passage. The, that river comes from the throne of God. And you have to have banks. Like you think, The banks are just as important as the river. Isn't it? It actually says when the banks aren't there, it's just a marsh. And there's no life in the marsh, but the banks contain the river. And where the river is, is this, this is some scripture, it goes down to the sea where there's a multitude of fish and then you're catching fish. But on the banks, there's places to throw nets to win the lost. But you've got to have banks and you've got to have the river. And, I, and we always look at the word and the spirit and, you know, you're a word church or a spirit church. And, you know, you know word, if you have the word, you... Um, so if you have the word, you, if you don't have the spirit, you dry up. You have the word only. How does it go? You blow up. But if you have both, you grow up. Something like that. But, but I, I, what I'm trying to say is I see the spirit and the word as one. I don't think we should ever separate it. I can't see the scripture separating it because the Bible says the washing of the water of the word of God. The word of God is, is likened to the word, uh, water. Jesus says, my word... My words are spirit and they are life. So when I'm in the word and you're getting the word from God and you're getting revelation from word, it gives me revelation but also hits me with his presence, hits me with his spirit. To me, it's one. My spirit, my words, they are spirit, they are life. If the banks are going to be there, it's because you've got the, to me, I look at the river as the life of God. Not necessarily as, you know, we see the spirit. It's when the spirit touches me. There's a manifestation. You hear what I'm saying? It's not necessarily, it's, it's, it's when the Spirit touches me or the Word touches me, it's still the outworking of the life of God. And the fruit of that is me living like Jesus. That's why you can have a manifestation and a jolly good time in the river, so-called river with the Spirit of God. Get up and never change. You know what I mean? There's no change in you. So I'm talking about, I, I, just, I just believe the Word and the Spirit, they, they work as one. In other words, the wineskin can't be a good wineskin if I don't have the presence of God, the Spirit of God. The more I get the Spirit of God, the more the wineskin develops and shapes. If I get revelation, it shapes my wineskin. I think we are the wineskin, then all our togetherness is a wineskin. Our understanding of Scripture, our understanding of God, our revelation of God, it's all a part of the wineskin. Everything is a part of that. I hope you're following because it's important to see these things. Um, all right. There's, so many, there's many ways that we can build wrongly. You know, you know, we've learned for many, many, many years about you know, the whole, we're a, we're a family, not a business. We're, not a, not a, we're organic, we're not organizational. You know, all these things that we are, that scripture teaches us of being family. That we don't run like the church. You know, the whole uh, triangles things and you know, just the wrong structures. Like we need biblically run churches. We need elders to, to rule and to rule in the church. And we need deacons. There's three creatures in the church, elders, deacons, and saints. That's it. You don't need boards. 
Because there's not, nowhere in the Bible that talks about boards. If the Bible told us we should have boards to be accountable to, I would have had it. I'm telling you now, I would have definitely done it. But it's not in there. So we want to build biblically. We don't want to look at the world's model and go, well, that's what they do. Let's follow that. Because you end up having a hierarchical model in the church. And all the, trying, and all, you know, the, the hierarchical model is like a corporate ladder. You, you step on each other to get to the top. That's not church. That's not family, is it? We want to build kingdom. So these wrong models can hurt people and has hurt people. We want to do our best to find the biblical model. Um, just quickly, when you build the right way, Let's see where's my notes here. Biblical divine blueprint versus man-made church. Because you're not relying on the Bible. You're doing it your own way. Then when you do it the right way, the biblical divine blueprint is Jesus is preeminent. He's number one. He's focused. He's our all. He's our center. He's who we preach about. It's who we're becoming like him. It's all about Jesus. The other one is just Jesus is added. He's not number one. He's not preeminent. Then um, G- uh, building towards Jesus or we're building towards yourself. Even pointing everyone to Jesus rather than pointing people to yourself. A false prophet is, makes disciples to follow them instead of following Jesus. Um, building, it's a dying to self rather than the message of self-help. That's what we hear in the church sometimes. The message of self God's going to help you, bless you. You're going to get everything you need. Just follow God. It's a self-help rather actually the message is the message of the cross, dying to self. Equipping saints in the right model. In the wrong model, it's tickling their ears and entertaining them. If you don't have the presence of God, you're going to have to entertain them. When you have the presence of God, you don't need to entertain them. Um, what about um, equipping? No, no. Family versus business. We spoke about that. Priesthood of all believers versus a hierarchy of power. Only a few are anointed. Imagine that, the priesthood of all believers. That in itself is powerful. You know, when we came out of COVID, and COVID did shake the foundations of the church worldwide. And when we came out of COVID, everyone on the line was talking about how, let's not go back to the same. When our God doesn't want to go back to the same old, he wants to bring a new thing. And it's all beautiful and great language. And I heard this lady from another movement in our, uh, in our country, in Australia, great movement and a great prophetess lady. And she was prophesying. And so I see the church. And she started to say, this is what I see the church. I see the church um, being the church 24-7. I see the church not going to church, but being the church. I see the church, you know, being anointed. And I see the church, uh, we're not just coming together to be entertained, but to experience the presence of God. And she's talked about the priesthood of all believers, not just some. And everything she was saying, I thought, that's exactly what the Bible says. This is what we've been trying to build for 30, 40 years. But it sounded like this is new. This is amazing. It was, it was good. I'm not saying it was wrong. I'm saying it sounded like, like a new language to the majority of the church. But all she was saying was, we're getting back to the blueprint. That's what we're trying to build. Our gathering is to equip on a Sunday so you can live your life out there. You be the church. You know, so it's just, this should be normal for us when you talk language like the kingdom. Um, what about, I, I wrote that, being church everywhere 24-7. What does that look like? Being the church everywhere 24-7. Where you release Jesus in your workplace. Where you, you operate in the word of knowledge and give a prophetic word in a really normal language, not a church language. Not, Let's say for the Lord, God wants to say this in an office space. You just say, hey, I, I really sense this about, I really feel God's got something for you in this area. And just say it really naturally. 
But it's, prof- it's profound for them because you just spoke straight in. God gave you a dream and gave a dream for someone else in your workplace and you give it to them. And they just, oh, how did you know that? They're going to know God is really here. We're waiting for them to come to church and God's saying, I'm trying to get you to go them. With the right model, God just gets us out there. Um, teamwork in the right model, um, teamwork and body, body, you know, the, Jesus likened the church as the body. And the other model is one man's show, one woman's show, God's or man, sorry, God's man of power, God's woman of power. Um, going and sending rather gathering a crowd. That we actually are going and sending people rather just get grab, grab I look more successful if the crowd's bigger. The gospel of the kingdom rather than the gospel of salvation. Disciples, we make disciples rather than making decisions. Power and authentic authority rather than positions and titles. All believers shepherd, care, disciple rather than pastors doing all the pastoring. All believers are equipped to evangelize rather than evangelists doing all the, We can go on and on and on. Um, we become a battleship rather than a cruise ship. Church isn't a cruise ship where you get waited on and come. Oh, the worship's not the way I like it today. It's a bit too loud today. And, and I, I just it didn't really tickle my, didn't really give me the message I wanted today. Like I wanted, I wanted to be tickled in my ear, but you just gave me vegetables. And you know, like cruise ship, someone, they all serve you on the cruise ship. I've been on some cruises, it's amazing. They let you take an entree and then you can take two entrees if you want. You can have a main, you can have another main. If you want to have two desserts, have another dessert. Crazy, isn't it? Anyway. That was a real cruise ship, I'm saying. Anyway. In the, in the, um, the right biblical model, there's no such thing as sacred and secular. We have a divide in our minds. If I listen to a, a love song about marriage, it doesn't mean it, and on the radio, it doesn't mean it's a secular song. It's a value of the kingdom. I don't think, it's, a, it's, you know, it's really wrong. No, it's no, there's no such thing as that, that, that thing. We think, we, then we think this is holy, what we're doing here is holy, but in the business, in the marketplace, it's not holy. Your work is worship. The Hebrew word for work was worship, for work. So when you go to work, you're still worshiping God. I, I, I'm going to try to finish with this, just to try to, and obviously in the, wrong, the right model is his glory, and the wrong model is self-glory. Um, I, I never saw this before, and I thought that really, you know, for me, it's, it stood out and did something for me. But First Corinthians twelve, we haven't got time to read it. If you want to read it in your own context, please do. Um, but Paul was likening the body, and he was referring to all the different parts of the body. And the whole chapter twelve was talking about um, the gifts of the Spirit flowing, the word of knowledge, word of wisdom, da da da. And then he goes on to say about the body, um, you know, that we are all, you know. Verse 12, it says, For even as one body is one, sorry, even as the body is one and yet has many members, all members of the same body, though they are many, as one body, so also is Christ. In other words, Christ's body is exactly like this physical body. Exactly the same. He's given us a symbolic picture that our togetherness, someone's a liver, someone's a heart, someone's a kidney, someone's a toe, someone's a finger, I need the whole body to function in unity to operate correctly. True? 
Have you ever heard of the, the, the sleeping giant prophecy? I don't know if you have, but the sleeping giant prophecy was a great prophecy about the church is a sleeping giant and it's going to arise upon up on the face of the earth and it's going to rise up in all the nations when we get to know who we are in Christ and walk in power and authority and so on. Powerful prophecy. And I pictured this and I saw this and I thought, because here it says, um, verse 25, I think it is. My contacts aren't working well. Now you are Christ's body individually members of, each, of, each, of, of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing. So he, he actually referring to, no, are all prophets? No. Are all prophets? No. He's talking about the apostles, prophets as parts of the body. You can, you can read that and, and see that. It's really, really clear in the Bible. So I pictured that and I thought, if we were a body, this is how we have been operating. If the apostles were the mobile, mobility of the body, would be the feet, right? If there were, and if we didn't believe in apostles, didn't receive from apostles, we didn't think they existed because they died 2,000 years ago, they died with Christ, and we just don't believe that there's an apostolic ministry, then we'd be like this, disabled. Don't have legs to move. We become immobile. If we don't believe in the prophets, and the prophets aren't here today because they were true prophets back then, we don't have prophets today, we'd be like this. We can't see. God, God wants us to see, but we're blinded because the enemy has deceived us to believe there's no prophets today and the prophets aren't imparting to the church to, to become seers like they're seers and they're not teaching them the gifts of hearing how to hear the voice of God and flowing the gifts, so we're blind. Imagine, imagine the body of Christ disabled like this, blind. And, 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 and if the prophet's a hearer, maybe he's also hearing God, so we can't hear. And, it, and the pastor, yeah, teacher, it's a good one. Teacher, you don't have the teaching gift, you don't have ears, you can't hear. And then the pastor, he's hands-on, he loves people. You don't have hands. I can't put this one behind my back. I can't talk. But imagine I've lost my limbs. I don't have my limbs and I can't see, I can't hear. And if the evangelist isn't outworking its gift, that's how we look to to the world. We don't have a voice. But if we allow the five-fold ministry to flow, then you've got a voice, you've got hands, you've got eyes, you've got ears, and you're a body working together. We will exercise and demonstrate to the principalities and powers the manifold wisdom of God.